The political landscape keeps evolving. Leaders and all Americans have an obligation to keep up and stand up. The states are the laboratories of democracy. To know where America is going, we must continue to look to the states. Welcome to Gallantly Streaming, a smart and engaging podcast brought to you by the State Financial Officers Foundation. Here are your hosts, Derek Kreifels and Jonathan Williams. Gallantly Streaming is proudly brought to you by Consumers Research, the nation's oldest consumer protection organization. I'm your co-host, Derek Kreifels. And I'm Jonathan Williams. And we are so uh, proud to have you joining us again today for our second episode of Gallantly Streaming. Uh, We're honored to have a special guest uh, with us today. Before I introduce him, um, I just want to say, Jonathan, you know, on our first episode, we talked a little bit about some of the issues that these uh, state financial officers uh, had been uh, working on and talking about. Um, we saw that Sole Amarova, the, the candidate for U.S. Comptroller of the Currency, has withdrawn her nomination. Uh, so I don't know how to take a victory lap in a podcast, um, but but I'm running right now around the room. <laughs> well, it was a huge win, right? I mean, uh, it proves that uh, not all things are doom and gloom in Washington today. And between that and really some movement against the big government socialism spending packages up here, that because of the inflation numbers and so many other big economic indicators has, I think, people running for the hills against some of these bad policies. I think tide is turning here and even in the land of make-believe in Washington, D.C., Derek. That's right. Well, common sense has prevailed for yet another day. Um, and speaking of bringing wisdom to Washington, let's introduce our guest for this episode. Um, he is our good friend, Adam Angievsky, founder of OpenTheBooks.com. Um, Adam, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, hey, it's great to be here, Derek. Jonathan. I want to just start, Adam. You know, you and I met probably, I think we were talking about six or seven years ago. Um, and I remember thinking, Every dime online in real time, no way, it's not going to happen, but you're doing it, man. And I, I guess I want to start with, for, for those that may not know you or be as familiar with Open the Books, um, take us back to how you got the idea for this and how it all began. So in 2007, I had a private sector business exit. My brother and I, we had started a publishing company from scratch from our apartments We built that company into a $20 million business over the course of 10 years. And it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible to achieve the American dream. In business, in your first three years, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. But that is why the American dream is, is so attractive, because by sheer force of will, you can achieve what you set out to do. So at the end of 10 years, we're an overnight success. And then I looked around uh, for an idea. I'm an impact guy. I want to make an impact. I looked around around for an idea on public policy and politics, and I settled on this idea of transparency. I beta tested all the themes during my campaign for governor. Right away, I just ran for governor in Illinois. Uh, I lost the Republican primary by 5%, uh, but I brought in some of the greatest champions in the 20th century in terms of freedom and liberty to endorse my campaign. They actually came in from Poland, like Valenza and Mitchislav Gill. So it was great. We had a we had a fun time. I lost by 5%. Uh, but then I swore off politics and we brought these concepts into public policy. It's every dime online in real time. And so we partnered with a former legendary US Senator from Oklahoma, 
Dr. Tom Coburn, who is running transparency and accountability, obviously, through the United States Congress, through the U.S. Senate. And when he left the Senate, he became our honorary chairman and spearheaded our national rollout. So, Derek, it's a lot of work. We filed this year 47,000 Freedom of Information Act requests. Wow. Captured for the first time in American history, most spending at every level, including your local units. Unbelievable. Well, Adam, you know, this is Jonathan, and thanks so much for being at our ALEC uh, winter meeting just recently in San Diego. Your message was spot on. And as we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, we had so many of the state legislators coming up and wanting to learn more and talking to you after the fact. There's a real hunger there for the kind of resources because you've developed some amazing resources on your website and your presentation. Now, let's, um, if you would, spend a minute just walking through, because some of this can be overwhelming, I think, for non-policy wonks such as us. Uh, you know, what are, where does a concerned taxpayer start? You know, if they're going from wanting to uh, investigate waste and fraud and abuse within their local government or within their state government, what's kind of the one, two, three easy step guide for a taxpayer that wants to dig into what's going on in their state or their local government? Yeah, you start where you live. So you just start right with your own local units of government. So recently, uh, two weeks ago, we had a whistleblower in New Orleans call call us and he told the story of how he started at OpenTheBooks.com. He knew something wasn't right within his department down there in the New Orleans Police Department. He came to OpenTheBooks.com, he looked that up, and he found sergeants making close to 200000 And he knew their base salary was around 80000 So he kicked off an investigation using our data, which led recently to 26 officers being suspended from police detail work. And there's potentially millions of dollars at stake in terms of ill-gotten gains. And so that that's the way it works. When we launched in Illinois 10 years ago by posting the salaries for the first time at nearly every level of Illinois government, we quickly found a school district treasurer who should have been making 164000 And in one year, he jumped up to 296000 And his taxpayers knew that wasn't right. And he eventually went to, it was Cook County, that's the county of Chicago. And the prosecutor there can't hardly find corruption anywhere. But even there in Cook County, he was indicted and he served time in the uh, in the penitentiary. So just start where you live. And look, the uh, U.S. attorney general has told you, the parents, to stand down. So everybody has to go to a school board meeting and give public comment. And if you don't know what you say, what to say, just come to OpenTheBooks.com, look up what they're making in your school district and talk about it in public comment at the board meeting. That's, that's a great awesome. point, Adam. And, uh, you know, we've never had corruption in Cook County before, have we? That's uh, something else. Novel <laughs> concept. One thing I know that Derek, I'm sure will want to chime in on as well there. You mentioned the the late, great uh, Tom Coburn, who is a personal favorite of mine, really a hero of mine. Somebody I always looked up to when I first came to Washington is somebody that fought the good fight with principles uh, leading the way every single day. And I know he was so involved with the State Financial Officers Foundation, served on the advisory board with us there, um, but just such a leading light for ALEC members across the uh, across the way. And just, we miss him dearly right now in Washington, that's for sure. Well, okay. Coburn's second to last speech in his life was at ALEC. So Indeed. his last speech was for convention of the states. And a month previous to that, he addressed an ALEC general session. And that was the second to last speech that he ever gave. So Dr. Coburn had a fond affinity, obviously, for the mission of ALEC. And uh, 
look, it was a it was the pleasure of a lifetime to lock arm in arm with Dr. Coburn and fight battles with him. The last oversight report we wrote, I worked very closely with him. It was on the uh, it was on nonprofit hospitals making big profits. And Coburn directed that report. Every step of the way, we knocked out all that research. We found CEOs of some of these nonprofit hospitals making up to 35 and $40 million over a five and six year period. Wow. So it was, a, it was a tremendous Jeez. report. It led to uh, even a co-investigation with USA Today and our organization at openthebooks.com. Uh, just a lot of public policy change that even crossed the aisle. Colorado Governor Democrat Jared Poulos cited our report in his state of the state address back in 2020. That's fantastic. Adam, this is Derek again. Um, let's talk about California. Um, I, I know you've talked about some lifeguards that make a, a really great salary. I'm thinking about making a career change, by the way, because it sounds like a good gig. Uh, but talk about that. And I know you've got a, a particular court battle going on right now in the state. Now, think about this. Ronald Reagan was a lifeguard. And if he was making what they were make, would that they're making today in LA County, he'd have probably never been president. He'd have stayed a lifeguard in Dixon, Illinois. That's right. So we put Baywatch on Paywatch. And in my, <laughs> so, I love that. You know, I mean, who knew, who knew that you can be an LA County lifeguard and make up to $392,000 a year? Oh, wow. And you can do it because of the power of the public sector unions. And we, you know, I mean, we found 81 lifeguards making over 200 grand. One guy made $600,000 over a five-year period on overtime alone. So this is a very lucrative gig, Derek. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Yeah, I'm glad so, you're, uh, and, and you're, you're taking the battle then to the state comptroller, right? To try to get more of the the line item uh, uh, transactions available to the public? So at the federal level since 2001, if you remember, Dr. Coburn partnered across the aisle with then Illinois Senator Barack Obama to open up the federal checkbook. It's been going on for that long, 20 years worth of line-by-line -line spending at the federal level. In the states, at OpenTheBooks.com, we collect 49 out of 50 state checkbooks. This is the line-by-line -line vendor spending in every state except California. And, and so in California, you've got the con controller who admits she actually paid 50 million bills last year, and she refuses to turn over a single transaction subject to our sunshine request. So we sued her. Right now, the judge is writing the order. He's under no deadline to produce the order, but we anticipate that it'll come soon. And we anticipate that this thoughtful and diligent judge will begin the process of forcing open the line-by-line -line spending in the state of California. That's disgraceful. And you just have to ask when an elected official makes that kind of stance, you know, what is it that she's hiding? You know, I mean, what, what is it that any group of, of, of elected officials are wanting to hide that they want to, you know, try to keep the general public from seeing those details in the way that their tax dollars are being spent. It's just unbelievable to me. Well, you contrast this controller Betty E in California with a prominent member of the State Financial Officers Foundation, and he's out of Utah. He's on the other side of the spectrum. He's <laughs> he's the state auditor, John right. Frugal Dougal. And That's John right. Frugal Dougal has posted every transaction at every level in the state of Utah on his website. 
and good policies, good politics. He's won statewide with the most votes ever of any official in Utah history. So for all those politicians listening that might run again someday, listen to us. It's it's good to be the public loves transparency. The voters love transparency. Well, it's a great segue to, uh, to our next question here, Adam, which is uh, Utah for 14 years in a row has ranked number one in economic outlook for the most competitive state in America in our Rich States, Poor States report, thanks wow. to the work of our good friend Frugal Dougal, among others. Uh, turning to your home state of Illinois, uh, which at one point in time, at least as a Michigan native here, Adam, uh, I always used to refer to Illinois as our best economic development partner in the Midwest, sending all those jobs and people to, to our state, even as we were struggling. So we appreciate that. But, you know, you've ranked in the bottom five in rich states, poor states for the last number of years in terms of Illinois' competitiveness. You know that problem well. If you were elected governor, things would be much different, I'm sure, in Illinois. But is, is there hope for a state like Illinois to finally turn itself around? And if so, what will it take to get there? No, <laughs> there's no hope. Look, I'm the most hopeful and optimistic guy that there is. My family on my mother's side, since the early 1800s, has been farmers in the state of Illinois. We still own the family homestead. And that was uh, started a land grant family back in 1844. So if there's hope for Illinois, I'm the first one to, to be able to tout that. And I just don't see it. And here's why. Uh, the entire momentum on public policy and politics is on spending and higher and higher budgets for as far as the eye can see in government. And this has led recently, and we pioneered this frame. A year ago, the average Illinois family owed $100,000 for each family to the unfunded Illinois uh, liability on pension debt. Today, that number is now 110,000. But here's the frame. The average family makes $64,000 a year. So today, almost two full years of gross income, you owe an Illinois unfunded pension liabilities. I, I don't know what the solution to that is. Yeah, I mean, you almost can't raise taxes high enough because you run into the Laffer curve problem, right? And you get the rates higher, you see more out migration, you lose further congressional representation with the population loss, and it's this vicious cycle. So I, I'm with you there. You know, we've seen this, you've studied this a lot, Adam, on the pension issue. You know, your state Supreme Court has said you can't even make changes for people who have not been hired yet uh, in terms of trying to fix and turn around this massive problem of unfunded pension liabilities. Just incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, there are solutions out there. I think, you know, it's uh, the first one is you have to put hard caps on property taxes with everything under the cap. Right now, the, the cap law in Illinois on property taxes is a sieve and allows the private, the public sector unions to go into private negotiations and literally hold students in the classroom hostage to a strike. So the no strike provision needs to go away. You got to put hard caps on property taxes with everything under the cap. Uh, including pension costs. And if school districts can't make it, then you have to bankrupt out the school district. Since the state can't go bankrupt, if you bring the pension liabilities local, you bank that bankrupt it out through each school district. That might be a very painful solution to this very painful uh, problem. Yeah. Adam, this is Derek again. I want to shift gears a little bit. Before we started the show, we were just uh, catching up and talking a little bit. And I mentioned that, you know, I think you're one of the champions in our movement because you're able to talk about some of the issues that can be pretty wonky and, and communicate them in ways that, that anybody 
can understand uh, the issue and the problem. And I think one of the issues that you do that really well on, and I know it, it's infuriating for many of us Americans that this happened. I know there's a lot of veterans listening to this show. Um, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about Afghanistan, because I think what you've done and, and what Open the Books has done to bring light uh, we all knew it was bad. We knew that there were people still trapped in Afghanistan, but we didn't have an idea of the magnitude of the dollars that were wasted in military equipment left behind, um, what all was there, and frankly, what's going to be there to rearm a potential enemy in our future. So um, maybe just uh, talk a little bit about how you guys went about doing that and then break it down for us the way that you so brilliantly do. Well, thank you, Derek. So, you know, in August, as the world started to watch the Taliban advancing in Afghanistan, our auditors wanted to answer the question, just how much United States taxpayer treasure we risked leaving behind if the Taliban was able to overrun the country. And so immediately we sprang into action. We looked at about 400 U.S. government audit reports, and we distilled out a number and we broke the news on this on a national and international basis, it was $82.9 billion, a staggering cost in terms of United States taxpayer paid uh, military gear and training into the Afghan National Security Forces and the Afghan National Army. And so when you break that down, there's, there's for instance, 650,000 weapons, and that's wow. 350,000 rifles, and those are M4s and M16 rifles. There's 65,000 machine guns. There's 25,000 grenade launchers. There's 2,500 mortars and howitzers. Okay, so that obviously the, uh, the Taliban, they're not a sophisticated fighting force. But these weapons that we're talking about, they're not sophisticated. They know how to use them. And furthermore, by leaving them behind, we turned the Taliban into a major U.S. arms dealer for the next decade. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. One, uh, I, you know, I was talking about that issue with a, another legislator at Alec uh, back in San Diego, and they they said, well, you know, they used the argument that it was actually cheaper to leave some of that behind to pull out. And uh, what would you say to that? Well, I think for 20 years, the public policy in Afghanistan was botched by Republican presidents, by Democratic presidents, by Democratic Congresses and Republican Congresses. We built nothing sustainable in Afghanistan. And we flooded that backward poor country with a ton of military gear that now the Taliban control 100% of it. So, so what I would say is the entire, everyone in Washington, D.C. is to blame. Mm. And they, they, Nobody had any accountability, whether it was economic, political, or military planning in Afghanistan. Nothing was left. Nothing was sustainable at the end of the day. It was all a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. Think well, about this, Derek. The G, the, you know, we took a look at how big that economy was in Afghanistan after 20 years of the United States being there. And there's 40 million people in Afghanistan. There's 40 million people in California, for instance. The Afghanistan economy, the, the gross national product of, of Afghanistan was $20 billion after we were there for 20 years. And, and U.S. investment every year was half of that figure. So when we pulled out, there was literally nothing left. 
Like we built nothing sustainable in Afghanistan, whether it was economically, politically, of course, or certainly militarily, everything collapsed. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, thank you for the work that you and your team did on that. I want to encourage all of our listeners to continue to uh, visit Adam uh, and his, uh, his, his organization's website, www.openthebooks.com. Um, they're doing great work. Uh, I, I want to ask you, Adam, maybe to end with this. Um, you know, we talked about Dr. Coburn earlier and you, uh, something that you said at our meeting at SFOF in Orlando in November, and, and you repeated it at Alec has stuck with me. And I think it's important and, and needs to be repeated here. Um, he talking, him talking about the three minute warning and, and, and would you just, uh, share that analogy? And I think it's a great way to kind of cap the show. So Dr. Coburn, you know, the thing that he loved the most was delivering babies. He, uh, term limited himself in the United States Senate. So he really didn't like being a politician, but he accepted public service as a, as a mission, certainly. But when he was leaving the Senate, he issued his three minute warning and he said, you know, after delivering 3,000 babies on the law, large numbers, sometimes one of those deliveries, you, there's a problem. And you know there's a problem when the baby's heartbeat, which is typically 130 to 140 beats per minute, falls to 50 or 60 beats per minute. He said, at that point, you have to make a decision as the physician. You've got to take action to save the life of the mother, to save the life of the baby. He said, you got some options. You can go for the forceps. You can go for the vacuum extractor and pull the baby out. You can make the decision to put the mother up on the table, cut a hole in her belly and take the baby by C-section. But he said, the point is you have three minutes to save the life of the mother, to save the life of the baby. You must take action. And Dr. Coburn said here in America today on debt and wasteful spending, This is our three minute moment. So for all of us out there, you know, as we've watched, you know, Coburn left the Senate back in, uh, in 2014, I believe. So all of us here that's watching the program, we've seen, you know, when, uh, when Donald Trump came into the presidency in 2017, the national debt was around $19 billion. We're pushing $30 billion now. So maybe it's not a three minute moment anymore. Maybe it's a one and a half minute moment. We've got to get engaged. We've got to stand up. We have to fight on transparency, lock arms. And we believe transparency revolutionizes United States public policy and politics. Wow. That is good stuff. Can I get an amen? More than ever right now in Washington. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Adam Angievsky, so much for being with us today. Uh, again, visit his website, openthebooks.com. Uh, you can see many of his pieces uh, regularly in Forbes. Um, and uh, he's just a, a great guy and doing some of the best work in the conservative movement today. So thank you, Adam, for being with us. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been great to be with you here today. Jonathan, uh, that, that concludes our show. Uh, do you have any special plans for Christmas this year? 
I'll tell you what, I'm going to be enjoying getting out of the land of make-believe and going to spend it with my kids and my wife and uh, hopefully someplace nice and warm and uh, very much look forward to it. It's been a great year. It's been a long year. We've been seeing some just tremendous success at the state level while we continue to play defense here in Washington. Uh, so I think it's a, it's going to be one for the record books for taxpayers. I think we've got some, I think at least 14 states are looking at they've cut income taxes this year. Probably more than 20 states have cut taxes overall. Uh, so we've seen some huge wins out there and expecting some really big things in 2022 ahead. Yeah, I am too. It's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the break for sure. Uh, I need it. And, uh, and I know my wife does as well, but I am going to be finishing a good book that I recommend to, to all of our listeners uh, by Vivek Rasawami called Woke Inc. It is a, a fantastic read right now uh, that plays into the ESG movement. So uh, more on that uh, in the future, hopefully. Um, again, uh, thank you all for, for listening today. And this is uh, Derek Kreifels and Jonathan Williams signing off. Thank you for listening today. For more information, visit us online at www.sfof.com.